Nothing. Oh, that was empty. Oh, thank God. I'm definitely on a boat. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to put that in the beginning in the intro. Oh, uh, definitely. Come on! <laughs> you and I are never going to be teaching the same thing, ever. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you're corn. I have courses that have similar names, but it's going to be different stuff because we have different experiences. Exactly. Because yeah. at the end of the day, our courses aren't based on much else except our own experiences. And I've got my own experience. You're from a different state. I'm from Florida, hurricanes, a lot of water damage, stuff just in general, just like that. You've got a lot of hail damage. I don't know much about hail damage. Not the way you do. There no way. I have a lot of experience on shingle roofs. We did 3,000 claims a year, mostly shingle roofs in Georgia, which is a very tough state. I know this stuff inside and out. And there's a lot of things that I've learned over the years from other PAs, from new contractors. You know, you learn something from everyone. Our goal is to provide an atmosphere that is so family oriented, supportive, a lot of communication and just a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of communication amongst each other and a lot of support that you're not going to want to go anywhere else. You're not going to want to, you're going to want to hustle. You're going to want to work hard. You're going to want to really bring in those claims. You're going to want to work those claims. That's the goal. The goal of the course is simple. If you send someone to this course, by the end of it, they should know how to inspect a roof and that building, whether it be residential or commercial, if it has asphalt shingle roof, how to inspect it, how to document it, and how to determine if it's a viable claim. I think we tend to forget when we were just starting out, yeah. we didn't know jack shit, and we could have I mean, used these resources like the National Claims Institute, my course that we offer, all this stuff. We could have used these things, but there was none. There yeah. is none. You know, we got David and Goliath. And Goliath is huge and they've got plenty of training available to them. Plenty. They're trained wrong in many cases, but there's plenty available to them. And then you got a tribe of Davids, which is us. And we're all doing our own thing. We're trying to collaborate here and there. That's what those forums are for. But for the most part, we're learning as we go. And most of the time we're learning from insurance adjusters. How does that make any sense? We got me, we've got Skipton, yeah. we've got the National Claims Institute, and we've got uh, my man, Cal Spoon. What's up, advocates, and welcome back to another episode of the Claims Game Podcast. Before I get into anything, we are looking for sponsors for to sponsor this very show, the Claims Game Podcast, but also to sponsor the Commercial Claims Show, also to sponsor all of our meetups that we have throughout the country, also to sponsor uh, our social media so we could post social media posts about you, and you could be on our website full-time. Uh, so if you are interested, we've got different sponsorship packages that we are offering. Uh, like I said, you could be a sponsor on all of the channels, or you could be a sponsor on one one or the other. So give us a call, give us some, send us a message. You could send us a message really anywhere on social media, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, and Facebook. And you could also go on commercialclaimsadvocate.com where you could send us a, send us an email through there and we'll be happy to help you out and provide you with the information that you need uh, to become a sponsor of the Commercial Claims Advocate. Um, just to let you know, we've got our meetup. Well, the next thing that we have is our course. Our course is gonna be on July 21st and on July 22nd. Uh, it's gonna be our next Zoom course where it really just takes over everything and what you need to become a successful public adjuster, especially if you've got zero, zero to three years experience. I think you're gonna get the most out of that class. But don't worry, uh, we are filled up for that course, but the next one that we will have is gonna be available in September or October. As soon as we have the dates, we'll let you know about that. And then we've got our Atlanta 
meetup. That's right. All public adjusters, contractors in Atlanta or anywhere in Georgia, come out to the meetup. Uh, we're almost narrowed down the the location, but it will be on July 30th. Matt Mulholland, our very guest on the podcast today, is going to be speaking. And um, Huggins Law Firm, uh, Huggins Law Firm is going to be the sponsors of the event. So it should be a really successful event. We never have less than 75, 80 people. We've already hit over 100 once in Orlando. So come out to the event. It's really good. It's really educational, fun time, great time to network and just talk shop with amongst some industry experts and individuals and just, you know, have a good time. So let's get to it. The Claims Game Podcast. Today, today we interview my good friend, Matt Mulholland. Matt Mulholland's a great guy. He's been an adjuster for quite a while. He was a roofer before he was even an adjuster. Uh, Matt Mulholland was the owner of All Good Adjustments, where he was a he was an owner of a of a public adjusting firm in the state of Georgia. Matt Mulholland also was the president of GAPIA, which is the Georgia Association of Insurance Public Adjusters. Uh, Matt Mulholland also has his own YouTube channel. If you go to my YouTube channel, You'll see here at the bottom, we've got the channels that we love. It's the Listen to This Bull YouTube channel. Great YouTube channel, great educational content, uh, smart, smart guy. I think you'd really love the channel, so go ahead and subscribe to his channel. Um, and then on top of that, what he's really, really excited and passionate about, like myself, is education. And he's teamed up with some people, and they have formed the National Claims Institute. That's right, the National Claims Institute. This is like its own school, a whole school, physical brick and mortar dedicated to just insurance claims. It's going to educate roofers and contractors and public adjusters and independent adjusters and all kinds of people. I'm very excited for them. Even though we have our own course, I like I tell him, it's no competition because at the end of the day, it's going to just better the industry. And the better this industry is, the better it's going to be for our clients and the better it's for our clients, the more successful we're all going to be. So you can go on, you can find that uh, nationalclaims.institute.com. Uh, right when you get to nationalclaims.institute, sorry, not .com, nationalclaims.institute, right Right in the beginning, you see available courses. If you click there, they've already got a course. They've already got a course, and it's called uh, Composition Shingle Roof Inspection. How cool is that? Tell you how to go up on a roof and inspect the roof shingles. I think that's fantastic. It's a course that I might take, and I think it's just great that we're just, like I said, we're just bettering the industry, leveling up the industry, and making it better and making us stronger. So it's a great conversation. I've known the guy for a couple of years now. He's a good, good guy, really, really smart, and I hope you enjoy. We talk about everything uh, from the importance of education. We talk about the Institute and sort of the sort of the direction that they're going in with it. Uh, we talk about his YouTube channel. We talk about just claims in general. I mean, you want to see talking shop. You want to see two experienced public adjusters talking shop. This is where you're going to get that podcast. And we also talk about some crazy hiking and crazy trails and really difficult stuff that we all need to be doing so that when we come out of the other side, we come out as better people. So hope you enjoy the podcast. I know you will. Check it out. It's a great one. My friend, Matt Mulholland, listen to this bull. Uh, yeah, check it out. Here we go. Let's start this. Welcome to the Claims Game Podcast with Vince Perry. Get all the tips you need from insurance claim advocates and professionals and grow your public adjusting career to the next level. And now the commercial claims advocate, Vince Perry. All right. What's up, Matt? We are here with the mate, the, the, the great Matt Mulholland. What's going on, man? Oh, <laughs> I got him. Did you see it? Did you get him? I think I did. I, hope so. I just got off a canoe trip for the last 10 days in northern Minnesota. 
There was, no, I didn't get them. I've been dealing with mosquitoes for the last 10 days, just swarms and swarms of them. The fact that there's a mosquito in this office right now really pisses me off. Were you there on vacation or or, or business? It was a Boy Scout thing from with my two oldest boys. Get out of here. Uh, yeah, it was good. It was a canoe trip. We uh, portaged in the land of a thousand lakes. Um, 75 miles. I'm going to get this thing. <laughs> if not, it's going to probably drive you crazy. Uh, it's going to drive me insane. <laughs> I'm going to look like I have a weird tick throughout this entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> um what'd you guys do while you were out there because uh, we just came back from alaska alaska so it was a lot of hiking uh we were yeah. on the water did some fishing it was some pretty good stuff saw bears that was good yeah too. we got to see a, a black bear we were hoping to see some moose i invaded canada we peed on canada a few times yeah because we're not allowed to go into canada right now yeah well we we might have accidentally how dare you gone into canada um may have taken a stick from Canada. I don't know if that's illegal. Is that illegal? It could be, but now it's on the podcast. So now you know, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's, it's national news. Matthew Mulholland is arrested for peeing on Canada and stealing their national treasure stick. Was it like a lot of camping? What'd you guys do with the, uh, with the Boy Scouts? No. I have a good friend of mine. Good friend of mine was part of the Boy Scouts years. Yeah. And obviously when we were kids, we did a, a trip was- called Northern Tier and uh, I'm going to get that thing. I can see it. The lights in the studio are a little bit weird to see it. Anyway, so, oh, I hate these things. Dude, at 930 at night, there would be swarms that came out. And you could hear this, like a background hum of wings. It was insane. It was insane. Yeah, that's, but did they bite? I, I got back to work. I'm not enjoying being back because I was having so much fun out there. And the one thing that I hated about that trip is in this office with me right now. (laughs) (laughs) We went canoeing and, uh, and there's, there's a bunch of lakes in this area, the land of a thousand lakes. It's on the borderlands of, of Canada and and Northern Minnesota, uh, just to the left of Lake Superior. And you, you take, you decide on a route and you travel and there's a lot of picking the canoe up carrying it over land to get to the next lake it's called portaging and so we we did a 75 mile route over six days or i guess seven days um you know seven days six nights and it was it was a blast but we had, we had aluminum canoes we had 75 pound packs and there was eight of us in total one of those was a guide that they don't call a guide for legal reasons um we had a great time it That's- was hard that sounds amazing. And that sounds extremely difficult, but it's so funny how you do something that difficult, probably where you're in, when you're in it, you're just like, Oh my God, this sucks. Oh my God. But then you come back and you're just like, yeah, that's the best. The first two days were really hard for us. Uh, we ended up getting stuck in what they affectionately call moose muck. Uh, but it's basically a peat bog and your feet get stuck in it and trying to travel. They measure distances in rods and a rod is one canoe length of 16 feet. So when you have to pick the canoe up and portage, the portages are based on the rod length. So we're, we're about to go into a 200 rod portage and our feet are already getting stuck in moose muck and uh, just peat bog. And you've got this, I, I, at that time I had a hundred, I had the heaviest bag. It was our food and it was the first day. So it was very full. And I had to, while carrying 120 pounds on my shoulders, 
lift my foot out of the bog while lifting the pack with my other foot. And we went about 100 yards in that. And that was the first day. And I thought to myself, what the hell am I doing? Why am I here? This is terrible. Oh, my God. But they were all so much better after that. We ended up doing one porters. It was 380 rods, which is roughly a mile. Um, I carried the canoe most of the time, which is about 75 pounds. Did you uh, carry the Did you carry the bag and the canoe, the backpack and the canoe? I, I did for one portage, but it was a 30-pound bag with a canoe. Um, it was our, our guide's pack um, just because I wanted to see what it was like. Because I'm, I'm, I'm picturing a 120-pound pack on you. Matt, you can't be much more than 120 pounds yourself. <laughs> I weigh about 160, 165, but I was definitely leaning forward with this pack. It was taking, uh, I, I look like T-Rex going through Moose Mug. <laughs> just is moose just exhausted, trying not to look exhausted because my two oldest kids are dying as well. And I'm trying to, trying to motivate them to, to keep moving. One of them has a canoe on their shoulders. The other one has a 70 pound back on their shoulders. And we're just, oh, we had to take like five breaks in that first 100 yards. Once we got out of the moose muck, it wasn't so bad, but this portage happened to be very vertical as well. I mean, it was, they called it the demoralizer. Ah, well, that's, it's very well suited. I see. They did not tell us it was called that until after we did. <laughs> Is moose muck just another term for moose shit? It's not really, it could be quite a bit of beaver crap. There was a puddle of beaver shit that one of our crew fe fell and sunk into, like up to here in pure beaver shit. Um, and he was thinking, I'm going to die in beaver shit. And that was, that was his thought. This is how I die. Beaver shit. That would be a crazy last thought to have, wouldn't it? We went to, we were in Alaska just to relate and uh, we climbed, uh, we found a nice little trekking trail, whatever, but it was, it's very famous. It's the, it's this, it's just, just crazy ice fall. It's just, I, I got to find the name of it. I'll, I'll find the name of it before I hopefully finish this, uh, this story. Uh, but um, it's just this huge uh, ice fall. It's about, I mean, if you go from top to bottom, you're probably talking about probably about 3000 feet. I would say from the ground all the way up. There's the easy portion that you go to, which is sort of like the sightseeing portion, which is a little bit of a trek already, but you got the kids and you got older people, you know, trekking just to go see it because you see just this massive giant uh, ice fall. And I could, if I could compare the size of it, I would say it, it just looks like, it almost looks like a small town is how big this thing is, right? And wow. it's going all the way up this freaking mountain. And then what's cool is about it too is you see the whole ice fall, but then as you're driving into the park, let's say a couple miles away, there's these little markers that say, that has four numbers on it. And it start, and at first I didn't know, but the numbers start off as like 1624, 1788, 1801, 19. And what that is, is Elevation. the year, no, the year that the ice fall was actually all the way to there. Now it's backed up all the way back to sort of where it is now. Oh, wow. So then we decide we do the nice one. And I'm just like, we need to go for a trek. Let's go to the second level. And, you know, Annabelle, my wife, she's all about it. She's like, let's do it. Oh, my God. If I can tell you, <laughs> first of all, I've, I've done some climbing in my day. 
All right. Yeah. So I was okay. I work out a lot. I felt good. Heart rate was nice and low. Everything was chilling. My wife, on the other hand, if you could, I can't even repeat some of the things that she was calling me <laughs> on the way up of that thing. I mean, oh, and by the way, it was raining the entire time. I mean, oh, wow. of course, I left my raincoat inside of the inside of the car, so I didn't have no raincoat. Uh, she didn't have a raincoat either. And she was just, fuck this, fuck you. Why do I fucking listen to you? This is ridiculous. And I just kept my mouth shut. We got to the point where we were probably trekking for a couple hours and it was supposed to be three hours up and about an hour down. We were trekking for a couple hours. She's like, five more minutes, five more minutes. If we're not up in five more minutes. I'm turning around. I'm just like, I said nothing because I know I've been there. I've been there, you know, on those crazy yeah. treks. And um, we finally made it to the top. And she was just like, um, at first she was upset, but then we got there and we're like right next to the icefall now. I mean, not that we could reach out and touch it, but we're just really close to it. And it was just this amazing sight. And she was just like, holy shit, that was all worth it. That was amazing. Once you finish all that challenge, you definitely feel good about it. I don't know if there's a dopamine burst in your brain as a reward for just stopping. <laughs> it's also, I think it's when you, when you push your body, when you push your body to certain things, let me see if you can, hold on. Are you ready? Let's see if you can yeah. hear this. Uh, da, 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 da. Is it this one? Is it, uh, yeah, it's just this one. How are we doing? Fuck you. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, Did you hear this her? is crazy. <laughs> I wish the video could show. We're way yeah, so I'm just like, how you doing? She's like, fuck you. <laughs> but when you when you when you push your body, <laughs> when you when you are able to sort of when you reach your limit and you just realize that you can't go any further, but you have no choice, mm. you're able to sort of break that threshold and continue to go. It's the reason why I love exercise so much. It's the reason why I like to run a lot because I get to that two, three, four, five, six mile marker, wherever it is that I'm that whatever length I'm going, and you always hit this wall. That and wall. Yeah. Pushing through it is so hard. But once you get to the other side of it, you could go forever. Forever. And it's just so rewarding. It's yeah. so rewarding. We had I, I got through the wall paddling on this trip. We we paddled for 16 miles in one day against the wind. And it was really windy and really choppy on a very large lake. And we're just paddling. And I'm on the on the bowman, which is basically the power for the canoe. I mean, you can't stop. And you want to so bad. Uh, and I'm, I'm changing which arm I'm pulling the most with. I'm pulling my back arm. I'm pushing my front arm. I'm relaxing certain parts of it. I stiffen up and just twist for a while. But at some point I got through this wall and I, I was like, man, I could just keep paddling forever. There's no, there's no stopping. I don't have to. It's pretty it's weird. What is that? I, I, well, it's your, just, it's your, it's, it's your mind. It's really your mind. It's not your body. Your body's capable of just an am amazing things. You know, one of the guys that I follow tremendously is uh, David Goggins, David Goggins. He's got the 40% rule. And yeah, he yeah. ran a hundred miles once because he was doing some stuff that he was trying to give back for soldiers and, you know, fallen soldiers and everything like that. And he was trying to get into that one of those long distance uh, 52 mile runs or whatever it is in order to qualify. This is the, I think he was doing the hurt 100 out in Utah. I believe it was like death Valley or something like that, maybe Arizona. And in order to qualify, you have to run 100 miles in a 24 hour span. Wow. He had never done anything like that. 
the day before he does like some killer, crazy, uh, heavy leg workout squats, deadlifts and all this stuff like an idiot. He's like, ah, oh, whatever. Yeah. I threw it. And he starts running. He gets through about, I think he gets through like around 71 or 72 miles and his body completely shuts down completely shuts down. And this are in his own words, he was, he had, he had, he had blood running down. He was, he was pissing blood. He was shitting himself. This is true story. His whole body was just like completely just done. And they looked at the watch and they realized that, you know, he was running out of time because he still had 30 something miles or 28 miles to go. So he gets up and he starts walking a little bit and he doesn't know what happened. He doesn't know where he got it from. But after about walking for about a mile or so, he got this boost of energy or whatever it was, and he was able to power through it and finish it. And after that, I mean, he had to be carry. He didn't want to go to the hospital. Uh, His wife was convinced while he's in the bathtub and they're pouring ice water on him. His wife was convinced that he could die, like literally. But what he realized when he came out of that was that that was the absolute maximum that he could have ever gone like, and he was still able to muster up something. The body was still able. So he came up with the 40% rule that even when you've reached your max and you could no longer go any further and you are just done, finished, you can't, you're only at 40, you've only tapped into 40% of your potential. That could, you could use that for work. You could use that for, for life. You could use that for business and you could use that for for athletic achievements as well. That's so different from what I've experienced as a walk is, you know, if you stop, you get to the wall and running and you feel like you can run forever. But once you stop, you have to redo the wall again. Yeah. I don't know how he did that. We were up. uh, So I I climbed Kilimanjaro in 2017. Okay. 18,600 feet or something like that. And it's this, it's a seven day, seven days total, five days up, two days down. And every day is just brutal. Every other day is just literally worse than the day before. You're going anywhere. I think the, the shortest day we had was probably five hours. The longest day we had is a good nine hours of just walking, trekking. And I'm talking like, I don't know if you've been on that treadmill when you click it all the way inclined to 15. That's what we were doing pretty much the whole time. There was a couple, of times, we, a couple of times we had to climatize and stuff and then maybe go back down. But it was pretty much going up. I mean, we went through some walls too that were just sick. But on the last day, day I guess after day four, you go to base camp. It's like the, it's the last camp you have before. And basically you have to wake up at 11 o'clock at night. You go, you trek probably for about nine hours. You want, they want you to get there like around seven or 8 a.m. when the sun comes up so that you can see the beautiful view. But you go up, you trek, you go out, you get up there, you enjoy the view and then you come back down. We got hit with a blizzard, a pretty oh, wow. bad snowstorm. In the middle of the night. As someone who's been through some hurricanes myself, I could honestly say it was good 30, 40 mile per hour gusts coming through walking through snow like crazy. My boots were not waterproof, water resistant, but not waterproof when you're walking in snow. And I reached that point. I reached that point where we were pretty high up there. We were probably, he kept saying we were like final push. That was still an hour before we actually got there, but we're trekking. I've never told the story on the podcast. We're trekking and there's seven of us. And in the front is my cousin and I'm in the back. And all of a sudden the line stops. And I'm like, why are we stopping? So I look. The whole time, mind you, all I've seen is the person's feet in front of me. Mind you, some breaks throughout the way, but the, the line stops. I look and the guide and everyone is sort of attending to my cousin. And I'm just like, uh-oh. So then the line keeps going. My cousin doesn't go. He just stays there. We keep going. I get to him and I'm just like, I'm just like, Frank, what's up, man? How you doing? How you feeling? <sighs> really tired. Really tired. 
he looks depleted. He looks defeated. His face looks purple. There's ice literally all over his eyebrows, all over his nose, all over his mouth. I mean, just ice everywhere. My gloves were basically 10 icicles. I mean, it was so freaking cold. Wow. Uh, my feet were frozen. It was just brutal. And I swear, I remember thinking, I am done. I'm done. I'm ready to go back anyway. This is in my head. And I'm just like, how you doing, man? I'm just, he's like, I'm really, really tired. So I go to the guide. His name is August. I say, August. I said, what are we going to do about my cousin? And he looks at my cousin. And he goes, how are you feeling? I'm really tired. Are you dizzy? No. Are you nauseous? No. Keep going. And I'm just like, are you fucking crazy, dude? Like, so I look at my cousin. I'm like, dude, if you want to turn back, we could turn back. We don't have to go anymore. And I'm literally like trying to convince him. Hoping that he says that. So it's not you that makes that decision. And I shit you not. His response was take me up that fucking mountain. And my response was like, no. <laughs> Damn it. it was the last thing I wanted to hear. Uh, I didn't want to be the quitter. <laughs> We did it. We did it. We went up. We went up. Dude. We did it. And I remember when we summited, I was not at the least happy. I wasn't in it was no enjoyment whatsoever. I was pissed. I was angry. I wish I was not there. It was just absolute just just sheer exhaustion. And and I was just angry. I was just like, why am I here? Why am I doing this crap? But when I got back and not just back down the mountain, when I got back down to base camp, it didn't really hit me. But then two, a day later, when we got back down the mountain and we're all drinking, we're having a good time. And then we're taking a safari the next day. And then we take the long flight from Africa and we get home. And I realized what I accomplished. It was just like it was the most euphoric, amazing accomplishment that honestly I've ever accomplished in my life. And I'm ready to go again. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to get back in that canoe and keep going before they uh, let us out. It's crazy. This is crazy. But anyway, was crazy. I digress. I digress. That takes think, me into. I don't think that was the topic for this show. Ah, no. You know, that's what this podcast is all about. You know, <laughs> by the way, it's Elias National Park is the name of the park in uh, in in um, Alaska, in Alaska. And I just I don't, this is a this is a yeah, that's that's a pretty good photo. I'm going to just just show you real quick so you can see it because it's pretty bad. Yeah, that's that's it right there. This right here. So you see that? Can you see that? Oh yeah. And then that goes all the way up. So it used to go all the way here wow. and it's got all these markers and stuff. Well, you trek all the way to around here. We trekked all the way over here and it was uh it was a pretty it was a really beautiful sight. It was really nice. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be outdoors because us we're always basically stuck inside pretty much. Not so much inside, but dealing with these claims and dealing with these insurance companies because they're a real pain in the ass. They do do some bullshit from time to time. Well, what's your deal now, uh, Matt? I mean, you're still, are you still working claims? Are you still doing all that stuff? Or is it strictly to what we'll obviously get into in the National Claims Institute? I have very few claims that I'm working. Um, only the really, really big ones that need some help are the ones that I'm getting involved in. But otherwise, I've, I've stepped away from claim handling in order to open the National Claims Institute and get it off the ground. Oh, we've got some good plans for listening to this bull as well. So I'm doing a lot of things that uh, I've been excited about doing for the last couple of years. And you know, some of the benefits of having my company all good merge with C3 was that I was able to step away and, and start doing this. So National Claims Institute is coming together. We have our first class in the first week of August, just after our uh, Atlanta meetup, which is going to be cool. Yeah, but that's 
That's well, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty exciting. How did you like the how did you like the transition? What was it about? Um, I mean, I think it's interesting. For one, I think it tells you a lot of different avenues that you can go in this industry. It mm. doesn't have to be strictly claims. Uh, I think you've proven that. I think I've proven that with the the courses as well and the podcast that we've got going on here. Um, it's a lot of different things that you can do. How do, how have you liked the transition? Was it just like you just were done with just dealing with the insurance company? Like, let me try well, something no. else. Honestly, it, it, it's bittersweet. I actually I enjoy working claims. I'm pretty good at it. So when you're good at something, you, you tend to enjoy it more, right? Um, any Anytime someone's on a winning team, they want to keep doing whatever it is and keep winning. So, I mean, we were doing great. Um, so, it's bittersweet not having so many claims to deal with. Uh, I've, I've been in more of a advisory role with my company since then, which I've always been, but it's, it's definitely much more specifically advisory role. Come to me if they have questions on what it is that I think that they should do. We set up strategies for claims, but it's been odd. I, you know, I've I've not started a school before. It's a startup business. <laughs> Who knows how to do that? Well, I've I've had a few startups over the years. All Good Adjustments was a startup, um, but there's a, there's a lot that goes into any kind of a startup business. There's a lot of research and a lot of planning and a lot of strategy involved just to get to all of the structure, the, the foundation of the company set before you do it. You, you've done this just recently by starting your own PA firm. I know you're learning a lot while doing it because I learned a lot when I did it. You know, there's, there's a huge learning curve involved. So I'm learning a lot about uh, how to do things. There's a lot of new software out there that's good for um, coursework, especially since COVID hit because, you know, most everything was in person and then COVID hit and suddenly everything has to be online. So there's a ton of software that allows for online, uh, learning capabilities, uh, but we're doing both. We're doing it in classroom and online stuff. What are you guys going to be using? Cause we've got an idea of what we're going to be using too. I just can't remember the name right now. Uh, we've, we've gotten on board with a company called absorb. A B S O R B. Okay. But I went through, I have, I've got notebooks and notebooks full of notes on just about every software and its pros and cons. Just think, so think, set up. think Ithic is what we're, what we're leaning towards when we start. We're, we're, we're shooting now. We're shooting our online course now. We're going to hopefully have it up uh, before, no, by, well, have it done before the end of the year and have it live uh, beginning of next year. And we're thinking of Think Ithic. Did you do any research on that? Say it again. Think ific, uh, like the like think, I F, I C. I did not actually look at that one. I thought I'd seen them all. I have no idea. See it. Think ific. Oh, wow. No, I didn't I, see that one. I follow. I follow this girl on Instagram. She's really cool. She's a uh, educ. Um, yeah. Exercise and stuff. Uh, yeah, this is what we're thinking of doing. This is how we're going to set the whole thing up. I mean, it's not, it's not, I, I've done a little bit of research on it. It seems nice. It seems very easy, which is like what always sort of what we're looking for, making sure that it's sort of easy to set up, easy to, to, to put up there and, you know, making sure that it's easy for the viewer to, to download and, you know, view the courses and go along and everything. But yeah, that's right. what we're thinking of. So you didn't, you didn't look at Thinkific. What were you guys looking at? Anything? In uh, I went through, um, most of everything that I went through was, was originally designed for internal training. And with the ability to also sell the courses, that one seems like it was designed specifically to sell courses. 
which is probably why I didn't come across it because I was looking at. Let's create uh, market and sell your online course. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, I see what you're, you were just looking for a platform. I was looking for a platform gotcha. that, that did as much as possible, but we, we looked at some Adobe software, which was the worst, which is the weirdest thing. And it was ugly and, and, and outdated. And it's Adobe. Yeah. And that's crazy. Uh, learn upon, um, articulate. There, there was a whole bunch of we went through. We ended up uh, sticking with Absorb, which is what everybody thought we were going to end up sticking with from the beginning anyway. But there's, there's a lot of benefits to that company, but there's, uh, yeah, it, it should end up working out. We, we got it live uh, the week before I went on this vacation. You could go to our National Claims Institute website, which is still just a landing page. But on that landing page, you can click on our courses and it'll take you into our Absorb page that has our single course that's available right now, right there. Awesome. I'm looking at the Absorb page right now and that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That looks pretty cool. I was able to, you know, modify quite a bit of it. Um, I have a meeting on Monday. I'm sure it's going to change a little bit as well. But for the most part, it looks good. And I'm able to create courses that have all the tracking items necessary in it for me to be able to, in the future, provide CE credits. And that was key. So I need a XAPI set up in order to be able to track specific amounts of certain things, uh, how, how long they go through certain parts of the thing set up quizzes with actual um, goals and, and pass and fails and all that kind of stuff. And then it'll, it'll spit out a report type transcript for everything that they've done with every course. And I can submit that to whatever their state is for secret approval and things. So I think it'll be helpful in the future. That was, our how goal. was the process of that because I was considering doing that as well. Um, how do you like that process of becoming like CE accredited? Because I've talked to some people who aren't crazy about it and mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I haven't really looked into it deep enough. I know the kind of person I am. And as soon as people want to tell me what to do, I may not <laughs> want to exactly do it. So I don't know. You tell me. It's it's. It's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's not terrible. I've, we've done it in Georgia several times for some stuff that I put together for Gapia. So I've, uh, I've had accredited courses already associated with me, at least for that state. But every state's a little bit different. That's kind of the problem. Uh, there is actually a big push right now with uh, some of the other organizations, uh, NAPIA, APIA, APIA. Uh, I think TAPIA is involved. They're all trying to get a more unified if they could get the naic to push ce credits so that they only have to apply to one organization for all states or at least all the states that are reciprocal then it would make it a little bit of an easier process and that would make ce credits a little bit easier to obtain Uh, but i know that they're still in the process of doing that and the states would still have to individually accept that in order for that to work out so i don't know if it ever will but i'm hoping that it does and i'm glad that they're taking on that mission because it'll help us out tremendously. But in the meantime, every state has its own application. So you don't want to apply to every state for every course. You only want to apply to the states that your students are going to be from. And only, But you have to get it in advance. And they've gotten more strict since COVID in a lot of states just because online learning is available, but they have to track how long they're watching the video, if they get off of the page, all that kind of stuff that, you know, a lot of the online schools track. And so I needed a software that had that specific capability. And so I was looking at these things and Absorb has a a capability. They can do uh, 
SCORM reports or uh, what they call tin can reports. It's pretty cool here. Available. Courses. Yeah. So click that and then you're into our absorb for those, page. For those of you that are listening, it went out to the National Claims Institute uh, website and right in the top, right in the, right in the middle, it says click here for courses and then you've got the course here. Pretty cool. Composition shingle roof inspection. Oh, there it is. Yep. So that's the first course that we have, something that is specific to um, inspecting. So it doesn't have to be a public adjuster. It can be um, contractors and public adjusters. Everything you need to know about inspecting a asphalt shingled roof of any kind, three-tab, architectural, whatever, uh, looking for hail damage, wind damage, vandalism, what, whatever, any kind of inspection for any kind of peril. We're going to get into great detail like I do with everything. Um, if you are seasoned and you think you know everything about hail, you're just wrong. You're wrong. You There's a lot. Stupid. I don't know everything about hail. All right. So you were going to say stupid. I was going to say retarded, actually. <laughs> don't say that. I, I'm not supposed to say that. That's not politically correct, my friend. It is not. <laughs> Ever since uh, I, I used to tailgate uh, with uh, with a girl, uh, she was with the family and her, her brother had Down syndrome and I used to use the word all the time and she used to tell me now, every single time I hear it now, I see, I see her face and I can't use it either. Yeah. But I, I mean, mean, yeah. But they don't, well, whatever. It's not politically correct. It's amazing, but, you know. amazing how many, uh, how many, I guarantee that you've probably got like five thousand different ideas for courses already running through your head about all of them. Oh, we have pages and pages. We have these big Venn diagram graphs of all the courses and how they interact with each type of segment in the industry. So we have we have this big circle on this giant piece of construction paper that's rolled out, big circle with contractor courses, PA courses, and where they overlap courses that would be good for them. I have more courses than days in the year available to me. And that's only if we do them all once per year, which we don't want to do. So a lot of this is going to be built up over time and we'll have a lot of it available online. Obviously the, the in-person stuff is for things that really need to be in-person. Yeah. Um, so what's, what's going to be sort of like the in-person stuff compared to the, uh, the online stuff? Anything that really needs to be hands-on if we're going to give um, physical um training of any kind, then being in person makes a big difference. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we'll have, we'll have steep courses for, for climbing. Uh, you can get certifications on that. That needs to be hands-on, obviously, because you have to actually perform the actions. So that'll be a live class. And our campus is in uh, New Smyrna Beach, Florida. So when you come to campus for a live course, you also get a great beach to go to. New Smyrna Beach is awesome. It's a very artsy town, uh, but it's just like Daytona. You can still drive on the beach, but without all the people that are in Daytona Beach clogging everything, um, it's just south of it. And it's, it's gorgeous. I love the area. So we have that facility there. Um, I don't know if we'll end up having any other campuses in the future, but we might. But in the meantime... If you're going to come to an in-person course, you also basically get a little bit of a vacation out of it. Why not? I've been so, there. I've been yeah. there over there to go see Frank, and I really like that. I like that just that strip where he's on, where where he uh, where the mm -hmm. office is at. It's just really cool. A lot of cool little restaurants, cool little bars, and places to go. The beach is just not that far. Especially we're actually going to be moving into the uh, the bottom floors of this facility, so they're going to okay. be off of Canal Street soon. Um, where is it exactly compared to the office? Where? 
Well, it's off of um, US one. Okay. Base, do you know where Ponce Inlet is? No. Oh, well, for those of you that do in the audience, Ponce Inlet is this is this inlet, and just to the west of that, on the mainland side, our school will be on US one right there. So. Well. I want to tell you that I feel like this is definitely right down your alley. Uh, just for the short time that I've known you, I think it's, I think we're coming up on at least a year already. Um, you're a very intelligent guy. You know well, your you. shit. Um, you were talking about, you were talking about the specifics of the shingle roof and the, and the damage and hail. And I was just like, what about raccoon damage? But anyway, <laughs> uh, you know your stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, we can get it. So hard. There actually is. There's some there's some slides I've got available for some animal damage, uh, but I'm not going to get into the policy specifics on that because that's that's I've, that's something that I've got put together for uh, public adjuster level two courses that I have that I'm building. Um, really getting into strange policy situations and how the policy interacts. So a le- level one public adjuster course that we'll have out by the end of the year is definitely going to get into the basics on how to be a public adjuster from day one. Um, but that's, that's something that we haven't fully developed yet. That's the, that set of courses is the one that I want to get right. I want it. I, I think that's what people are expecting out of me more than anything else is the PA courses. So I want them to be able to leave that just knowing that that was, you know, as, as good as it can get. But this, this particular course that we set up for the beginning, the reason I did this one first is because this is, what I have the most knowledge of personally, I have a lot of experience on shingle roofs. We did 3,000 claims a year, mostly shingle roofs in Georgia, which is a very tough state. I know this stuff inside and out. And there's a lot of things that I've learned over the years from other PAs, from new contractors. You know, you learn something from everyone. We're bringing in some experts for certain parts of it as well. Uh, getting into some fun stuff about the inspection, especially in the attic, what kind of stuff that you should be looking for in the attic and what kind of odd things that if you find are going to help you about tremendously, what to document, what not to document. The goal of the course is simple. If you send someone to this course, by the end of it, they should know how to inspect a roof and that building, whether it be residential or commercial, if it has asphalt shingle roof, how to inspect it, how to document it, and how to determine if it's a viable claim without having to ask you if they think it's a viable claim. So they'll be able to give you an opinion by the end of it with a lot of information on everything that an insurance company would want to be able to document. We'll even get into how to read a deck page so you can understand whether or not there's uh, basic coverage available because I think contractors should be able to read a deck page. So I think it's gonna be great. Um, it is a week long and at the end of it, there is a certification test. So you can get NCI certified in asphalt shingle composition, roof inspections, NCI roof inspector certification. Is this, is this going to be online or it's going to be in person? This one's in person. Uh, there's a lot of hands-on involved in looking at hail damage, specifically hail damage, uh, because you really have to know what something feels like with hail sometimes. Insurance companies want to look for functional damage and bruising and all this, and it's not necessary, but there are certain things that you can do in in the way that you're looking at damage to be able to prove whether or not it was caused by impact of some kind versus a blister or flaking or uh, lichen growth or even a hammer. 
So there, there is some hands-on aspects of this. We will end up having some of this online, but it's not going to be a certification course for the online version of it. I just don't see a way of doing that and feeling confident that that person will be able to make that determination on site without being able to feel it. Now, are you guys going to be going up on roofs and stuff like that? So we have part of this facility is we have a separate building that is a shingled roof. And we were, we were planning originally to make that like a dormitory. I don't know if we're going to end up doing that or not, but that shingled roof is only a 512 pitch and it's um, asphalt shingles. And it's perfect for us to actually get up on. It's right on our own campus. It's our building. We don't have to get anything on there. And we can go through the motions of taking all the photos and, and specified orders and things and documenting things properly. So we're going to go through an actual inspection, assuming we don't get rained out. Um, but a lot of the stuff that we're going to do is, is in-house. I have mock roofs built that are going to be inside the classroom uh, using shingles that we've gotten from roofs that were actually torn off that had damage. So legitimate damage on these mock roofs. Some of them are just brand new shingled mock roofs so that you can understand uh, how to do an attempt to repair. We're going to go through how to document and perform a simulated repair so that you can do that as an inspector without having to wait for something else to determine you know, further. Is this a claim or not? Because if it's repairable, is it really worth filing? It's not really worth the effort. It might, might depend on your state and, and the laws there. This is not a state-specific course. This is not specifically to Florida. Um, even though the course is being held in Florida, that's just because our campus is in Florida. But this will be nationwide. It's the National Claims Institute, not the Florida Claims Institute. You're making, um, me, you're ma you're making me think of... Um when I worked for State Farm, part of the training was we would go to 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 Bloomington, Bloomington, Illinois, to like the national headquarters of State Farm. And yeah. that's a warehouse where they had like a burnt house over here and then a burnt oh, car yeah. and this, that. And you'd inspect the car and you'd inspect all the parts and you'd go on the roof, you'd inspect the roof. And it was just for all claims adjusters. And I thought that was pretty cool. And that's what you're sort of making me think of when we're you're getting there. About stuff. So, yeah, now we're going to have some. IICRC courses at some point in those facilities and that building is going to get flooded. Um, I don't think we're going to set it on fire. I don't think we're doing that far because you, you'd have to completely rebuild the thing. Uh, but there are some firehouses nearby that we're working with to try to simulate um, a fire environment specifically for contents and things of, of that nature. It's we should amazing. have some fun with it. It's amazing when you have an idea for a business and people do not realize that once you actually start to get the wheels turning, how it just sort of snowballs into this just giant, massive freaking yeah. thing that sometimes could feel extremely overwhelming. You know, that yeah. those, that's why I love, I love, I love when my friends go, oh, I got this idea for a business. What do you think? And I'm like, great, go ahead, start it. Call me when you're, when you're like halfway through it and then you know, <laughs> yeah. I'll help you out. too many I, ideas. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's so many ideas, but it's when you start actually implementing the ideas that that idea turns into another idea and to another idea and to another idea. And well, it's it could be completely hold. changed. It's, yeah. Not yeah. that it could be completely changed, it's that it just turns into so much people, my mother-in-law, is a great example. She's got an idea for every kind of business. Vince, but you should start a restaurant over here. Vince, but you should start this business over there. And I'm like, don't you understand how much work it <laughs> takes to start a business? It takes so much. Lot. 
And you talking about having more course ideas than actual days of the year and having all these other ideas about a warehouse and, and a dormitory and all this stuff. And it's just like, it's just when you start to think about it though, and you really just try to think of the macro of it, it's just like, but then when you try to bring it down into a micro, you're just like, okay, we're like 10 years away from that. Yeah. Because I mean, realistically, obviously I can't, I can't produce all those courses immediately. They can't just not. be available suddenly. So it's going to be something good. built up over time. So my, my goal uh, for the rest of this year is to have one course a month available. And then next year I want to have two courses a month. And then the year after that three courses, and that's how we're going to build up. So that's, that's the goal. But you know, some of these courses are going to have to be repeated. So this is one of those courses with a certification. We're going to do this probably at least twice a year, uh, maybe more. It depends on how it goes. And, you know, if we end up getting enough demand for it, I have a feeling when people leave this course, they're going to be going, oh my God, there's so much more that I didn't know. We're going to compress. Do you? It's do you ridiculous to- how much information we're going to give on this. Your, your brain's going to hurt. Do you ever get the feeling sometimes though, like because you've known this stuff for so long that do you ever get surprised at how grateful and how, how people react to some of the things that you teach them? Do you ever get like, like I get sometimes like I teach people just what I've known, like for my whole career. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and and they come to me and they're just like, Vince, thank you so much. That information was so valuable. And I have to be honest in the back of my head, sometimes I'm just like, to me, it's, a lot of it's kind of obvious. Elementary. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, you you should have known this already kind of stuff. Not that they should yeah. have known it, but yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. It's like, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just weird, but at the same time, I think we tend to forget when we were just starting out. Yeah. You know, we didn't know jack shit. And we could have I mean, used these resources like the National Claims Institute, my course that we offer, all this stuff. We could have used these things, but there was none. There yeah. is none. There is other, we got me. We've got Skipton. Yeah. We've got the National Claims Institute. And we've got uh, my man, Cal Spoon. Is Skipton going to keep doing theirs? Jack Hanks yeah. is starting his own company now. Yeah, I think he is. I mean, that's what he mentioned in his, in his social media post, that there's going to be another course, I think, in Florida. Oh, okay. Oh, you're not aware? <laughs> well, I've, I've been on a canoe for the last 10 that's days. Maybe true. he said it during that time. He did. He did. He did a post where he's like, oh, I'm going yeah. off to this new company. I got my company, but we're still going to do the courses, something like that. I honestly feel like I'm still in a canoe right now. Like I'm, I'm, like you're I'm still, still swaying a little bit, right? Green and it's not the beer. I wish it was. That would make more sense. Then, the then my head could wrap beer. itself around itself. When we when we edit the podcast, we're gonna put like a like just like a lake behind you. You should. Forest. <laughs> you should have me just going exactly the whole time. We're just gonna keep that there, especially for the first segment. That'd be great when you talk about the canoe. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think it's funny. Like I, I, it's extremely, it's extremely uh, humbling when I hear people's uh, testimonials. I've, I- I've had a similar experience. I know what you're talking about. So I've, I've been doing a hail and wind class in people, in contractors offices for years. And it's, it's usually like three hours long and it's, it's not basics, but it's it's very rudimentary at the same time. So, but I, every single time the owner of the company has come up to me and said, "You just taught me so much I didn't know," and they've been doing it for 10, 15 years, longer than me. And and I'm like, really? I'm glad I was able to help you. But you're right; it's it is a little bit strange. The first few times that that has happened to me, and it happens to me on all the videos that we do quite a bit. 
But the first few times that, that happened to me, um, I was taken aback because um, I don't think you, you don't really think that you know more than other people. You think this is general knowledge. And, and it turns out that, I mean, it should be general knowledge, but a lot of it isn't. And it's because it, 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 we're having to learn through experience. Right. And we don't, the goal is not to have to do that anymore. You know, we got David and Goliath and Goliath is huge and they've got plenty of training available to them. Plenty. They're trained wrong in many cases, but there's plenty available to them. And then you got a tribe of Davids, which is us. And we're all doing our own thing. We're trying to collaborate here and there. That's what those forums are for. But for the most part, we're learning as we go. And most of the time we're learning from insurance adjusters. How does that make any sense? The insurance adjusters are being taught the wrong thing on purpose. And then they're teaching us. And then we're looking for the same crap that they've been taught to look for. And it's, it's nothing to do with the policy. It's nothing. To do with the oh, that was empty. Oh, thank God. I'm definitely on a boat. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to put that in the beginning in the intro. Oh, definitely. Come on. <laughs> um, it, it's a bullshit system. So there has to be something. So I'm, I'm glad that there are because there's, there's a number of people coming out with courses. And it's, it's all of these. There's not enough of them. It's all going to benefit the industry. I'm so glad you're doing your stuff, Vince. It's going to be great. And I can't wait to, to have you come in and do some collaboration with NCI. You asked me when we were when we scheduled the podcast, you're just like, oh man, I feel kind of bad. Are you sure? Because you have a course and we're doing a course. And I want you to know, I want everyone to know that at the end of the day, it's what, in my opinion, it's one of our biggest goals when it comes to what we're doing at the Commercial Claims Advocate. And it's uniting the organization. No, uniting the community, uniting okay. everyone, uniting all of us, not just public adjusters, but contractors alike, because it is David and Goliath. It's us versus them. It's not us versus us. And the more places that we have to go and get some education, because you and I are never going to be teaching the same thing ever. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you're course. I have courses that have similar names, but it's going to be different stuff because we have different experiences. Exactly. Because yeah. at the end of the day, our courses aren't based on much else except our own experiences. And I've got my own experience. You're from a different state. I'm from Florida, hurricanes, a lot of water damage, stuff just in general, just like that. You've got yeah. a lot of hail damage. I don't know much about hail damage. Not the way you do. There no way. So, you know, the way I document a claim, I don't know, it just may be different. There's going to be differences no matter what. Definitely. So what I, I, what I remember told, telling you over the phone, I said, Matt, don't you worry about that. You and I, we've got, we've got two different things, my friend. And the more, the more sources there are for people to go and educate themselves. I mean, I hit it off with Cal. Cal's a freaking rock star. Cal Spoon, shout out to mm. you. I mean, you're, I mean, Cal's a great, great dude. And he's also the same. He just wants to help the industry. Go ahead and start your own course. Go ahead and do something else. Go ahead and be my quote unquote competition. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's all going to just help the industry because let's face it, the insurance company is only making it harder and harder and harder and harder for these claims to get paid. And if we don't actually improve, I mean, let's be honest. Some of the issue is that policyholder advocates, the, the side of the policyholder, so many people don't know what they're doing that they're filing frivolous claims left and right. And that, that don't need to be filed, that, that have a lot of problems. And it's, it's just, it's clogging the system. There's adjusters that are looking at claims that should never be paid for. They're denying them. And then the contractor is 
fighting tooth and nail over something that should have never even been claimed because you're not going to win it. The policy doesn't support it, whatever it might be. If we eliminate a lot of that by raising the bar on our end to understand what's important to what is covered and what isn't and when you shouldn't file, then we could probably make the other side stop doing some of the crap that they're doing because they won't have to. It'll reduce their outgo in overhead and paying for all these experts and things that don't need to be paid for, for a claim that doesn't need to even be filed. Maybe, maybe the, maybe it'll level out a little bit. I'm hoping that happens. The inner skeptic public adjuster in me doesn't think it will, but the optimist in me thinks there's, there's a possibility, you know, I mean, these are reasonable people, at least the people that we meet with for the most part are reasonable just because the management levels have these weird meetings that we hear about every now and then, maybe if there isn't as much outgo and they can't justify the Department of Insurances anymore that their rates have to increase and all this other crap, then the laws can can improve without having to, to I think it'll improve. I think things will get better overall, but it's going to be years before that really uh, pans out because we, we, as a community, we all have to create all of these necessary educational pieces that actually produce more educated consultants in this industry. If we don't, I mean, right now, what do we have? What do we have before the last year and a half, two years? We had, we had some conferences. There's a lot more of those now. Um, you can get breakout sessions, but I mean, you, you pay to network and go to some of these breakout sessions, but some of these breakout sessions are, 45 minutes to an hour long. Can you really learn enough about any topic in that amount of time? And there's so many of them going on at the same time. You're going to miss them. And then I don't think that's the right resource for education in reality. It's definitely a great resource for networking. It's definitely great for networking. And you're going to learn stuff. Don't get me wrong. You're going to learn stuff. But if you if you go there because of a specific breakout session that's going to be there, and you spend $1,400 or so for one ticket for a one-hour training session that you don't want to miss, and you pick up one nugget and you say, I got this one nugget, and now it's worth it. What if you spent that $1,400 on a week-long course and you got 500 nuggets? How much is that worth? Yeah, Chicken McNuggets? Yeah. I mean, sometimes they have beaks in them. I don't know about McNuggets. <laughs> <laughs> my, one of my kids says he had some raw chicken uh, McNuggets a couple of weeks ago, maybe maybe a month ago. Yeah, yeah, that's a little yeah. rough. I agree with you. I agree with you. The, you know the, the 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 bullshit claims is what I usually call them. Is those claims are just aren't this bottle? It's bothering. The bullshit claims is usually like what I what I harp on to. It's just like, why are you filing that claim? The reason why the majority of your claims end up getting denied is because you shouldn't have filed that claim to begin with, just like what you're saying. That's right. And and now you're fighting tooth and nail because you told the homeowner that they have a claim and, and now you want to save face in front of the policyholder and you're telling them that the insurance company is wrong. And and I'm sure the insurance company might have done some bullshit. Who knows? But it doesn't mean that the claim is still worth fighting for. Sometimes it isn't. And you need to be willing to walk away from those. If you know what to look for, and you, 
then you can file good claims and not clog your system with all these crap claims that you're spending all your time dealing with all these crappy ones. And then you feel like you're never going to make any money. If instead you walk away from those and only pick up the obviously less amount, but better claims, you're going to be happier. You're not going to have nearly as much time on your hands fighting the crap you, you know that if there's a problem, then it's definitely carrier bullshit because you have a good claim and it should be paid. I, I think there's a lot of value in just knowing what's claimable and what isn't. And that's really why this is our first course. I think it, it establishes a baseline. This is what you do for the inspection. And since most of my followers um, up to date are, are roofing contractors, it's specific to roofs. And we're just going to make this baseline. This is what you're looking for. On the vast majority of roofs, the majority of roofs in the nation are asphalt shingles. On the vast majority of roofs, this is what you're actually looking for. And this is how to determine if there's a viable claim. And this is how to determine if it's a crap claim and you should just walk away and apologize to the policyholder. And when you do that, what do you use in order to keep in contact with that homeowner? Because one day they're going to have a viable claim. There's a lot of stuff that we get into on that, uh, things that I've done over the years that have helped us recapture a large percentage of those missed opportunities uh, just by having the right software involved tracking things. But we're going to get into that. So it's it's sponsored by Hail Trace and Company Canvas version as well, by the nice. way. Nice. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, we're trying to get sponsors now too. How'd you guys do that? Just went around. You just asked them, just talk to them. Hey, uh, they were, they were pretty eager to do something with us as, as early as possible. But this first course, since it's the first, um, they, they definitely wanted to, to, I don't know, lay claim, I guess <laughs> they've, they've stuck their flag in it. Nice. Company nice. I mean, they're honestly, they, they, it's almost like a two peas in a pod. They always seem to go together. Right. Um, but I love those guys. Uh, Michael Gogan. And Derek Klein, they're, they're great individuals. They're a lot of fun to talk to. They know their stuff and they both have software that is very, very useful, especially in this industry. Um, so we're going to go into one, one of the days is, is talking about tools of the trade, and exactly what it is you need when performing these inspections and how to document things. And it's perfect to have company cam there to, to show this is how you can document something easier using some kind of software. Here's an example of it. Um, you definitely need to have some kind of weather data in order to determine if you have a viable claim. So we're going to get into how to use weather data to your advantage. And we'll have uh, Derek Klein there with Hail Trace, really establishing how that software works, because it's very similar to some others as well. But this is how Hail Trace works, and this is how you could utilize it. Um, and we're going to get into a lot of things. We're going to have all, all kinds of different tools available there. Uh, we'll even have some things available for purchase if you wanted to, if you want to get some cougar paws, if you brought in a very brand new team, for example, and they needed some cougar paws that, that should be available. I haven't um, received a word back yet, but we're, we're trying to establish everything as much as possible to be available there. Every aspect from beginning to end, this is how you perform a asphalt shingle composition roof inspection in the exterior and the attic. Uh, very, very basic interior work as far as, as ceiling stains and things go. This is how you document it. This is how you investigate it. This is how you determine whether or not there's a viable claim so that when you go down and you get in the kitchen and you start talking to them about it, you know 
whether or not there's something worth talking to the homeowner about. You're not speculating. You don't give them wish-washy language. You know exactly what you're talking about. They're going to know you know what you're talking about, and you're going to be in a much better position, whether you're a PA or a contractor. Yeah, at or least, an attorney or an engineer. At least uh, proving to the homeowner that you at least look like you know what you're talking about. That's a big one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it takes you a long I mean, For me, I just wear the hat instantly. Yeah. Instantly, I know what I'm talking about. Well, I'm excited for you, man. I mean, you definitely sound very excited about it. I think it's going to be amazing. I'm excited for it just for the just just for the industry as a whole. I think uh, I think you you guys putting this together is going to be it's going to be incredible. I can see where it's going to. I could see where you're looking at. I mean, it's the national. Aren't you the dean? I mean, if you got a dean, then you know it's serious. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's. Um, I asked you earlier over the phone. Can you? Actually- yeah, I'm the dean. I, it's such a weird thing. Do people, saying that. do people go to your office when they get in trouble? You know, they might, they might, I might put a paddle on the wall just to freak them out Ooh. with holes in it, you know, yeah. holes. really yeah. get the, f- yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a heckler or two. There's going to be, it's, it's inevitable, right? It's true. It's true. There's gonna yeah. be referrals, not referrals. They used to call it a referral. That's what it was. I don't know why. Why did they call it? Did they call it in your school? Yeah. When we got in trouble, we had to go to the office. It was a referral slip. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Really? Yeah. You would think that's like now a good thing for us. It's like the best. This is the best two words for us. Referrals live nice. Yeah, it sounds nice. Sounds like a good thing. Yeah, I got I've never one heard that term. I, got I don't remember what they called it. I didn't get in trouble much in school myself. And in middle school, I got one too many. It was a Christian yeah. school. So yeah, they got I got a lot of referral slips. I detention. I got a referral, I got a referral slip and it gets into the office for saying damn. Damn. That's what? That's it. You're going to the Mr. Mulholland's office. You're in yeah. trouble, buddy. You're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, so I'm happy for you. I think it's going to be great. Um, you know, one of the ways that you and I met, you've been doing this educating for a long time, man. Technically. To the I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the, the videos stuff. I've been putting out and, and definitely going into, you know, it was it was part of my um, my way of gaining business. We, we get most of our business from contractors. So if we teach the contractors, we get better claims. It was it was a give and take. I, I have been. understand that. I yeah. have a question. Vince, what's in it for you? And I'm like, Hello. I'm like the guy that knows what I'm talking about. Who else are you going to go to for a claim? Yeah. I mean, if, if you know what you're looking for, we're going to get better stuff out of you. I don't have to go investigate a loss and tell you that you're wrong and have you go, what about this? What about this? No, it's not a good claim. I'm sorry. It just isn't. Here's the reasons why. And you fight me on it. Why do they fight you on it? They treat us like a, like insurance adjusters sometimes. That ever happened to you? Who the contractors referring you claims? Clients? Oh, absolutely. I drill clients when I get into a house. I I drill them, and they're just like, "Why are you asking me all these questions?" I'm like, "Because the insurance company's going to." Yeah, we need to know this. Either they're going to ask you, or they're going to ask me, and I'm going to need. I'd rather you give me the answer now before I've got it, or before I have to hear you give the answer to the insurance adjuster. They they think that we need to do the full investigation every single time, so that they don't have to. But the reality is if they do that enough and we keep wasting our time, we're not going to want to work with them anymore. Well, one of the things that I tell all the students when they come into our course on day one is I tell them, I said, you guys have to understand, you guys are adjusters like the insurance company adjuster. You guys are doing the exact same thing. You're walking into a home and what are you doing? You're inspecting the loss, you're gathering evidence, documentation, and you're determining coverage. Oh, yeah. You're not like officially, deter- you're not the official determinant of the coverage because that's the insurance company's job, but you're not going to sign the claim if you don't think there's coverage. You're not going to file the claim if you don't think there's coverage. Are you still doing the uh, 
the 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 videos? Yeah, no, listen to this bull is actually uh, even though I've kind of put it to the side slightly uh, over the last month, just getting NCI off the ground. They, we have a lot of plans for listen to this bull. Um, it's going to be much much bigger than it was. We're going to be doing a lot more with it. So it's not going away. I, I still want to produce those videos. I, I really enjoy making them. Um, I get a lot of a lot of feedback. People really like them. Uh, you know, the NCI classes is there's a different feel to it. You know, it's it's more of a professional feel. Not that I'm not going to go in there and, and act like I normally do and and give an entertaining education. I will, but to the public image, it has to be a little bit different. I'll say bullshit in the class, but I, I can't say that, that in the advertisement. For NCI. That. You know what I mean? Why not? I, it just It's a new world, Matt. It's a new world. People can get over it. It's bullshit. There's bullshit that we're uncovering. But listen to this bull. I, I, we have I really can't go into what our plans are because some of it is is a little bit proprietary and, and new ideas I haven't heard yet. So I'm super excited about that. But it's gonna be good. And it's probably six months down the road before I start really presenting some of that stuff. So, um, but I'd be, I'd be happy to come on and, and uh, do some stuff with you on that. Once I, that, you know, you're the first, now. you're the first, second, you're the, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? You're the first person to repeat. come on the podcast, repeat guest. You're the first repeat guest on the claims game podcast, my friend. The very first. Does that count for, cause we've done a few interviews together at conventions as well. You're counting that, or is this specifically podcast? Have we done interviews and conventions? No, we haven't. Not that sure I know. We have. And uh, when the storm, you had us on camera. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I'm not counting that. You're not counting that. So you had me on with uh, Doug Quinn at one point on your podcast. I'm the very first repeat always, customer. That's Doug pretty Quinn's cool. Always a great conversation. Yeah. So passionate. I love it. I was on your. If you came on my podcast again, you would be my first too. I was on your podcast. Yeah, well, I was time. on your live show. Podcast is that the same thing? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you going to keep doing the live show? People keep calling it a podcast. I know it's not really a podcast. It's a live stream. People keep calling this a podcast too, which this is a podcast, but there's also the show that I do with this right. just me. But I think when people say I love your podcast, I think they're just kind of mixing it all into one. Yeah, they do. They, they combine that into one term. I don't know how to describe it. If it if it's both, is there a term for both? It's just a show. I guess it's just a show. But the podcast, this but is more the idea of a podcast can be can have video. Right. I think it's because of Joe Rogan. It's technically still just a podcast, no, but, but he I does guess, the video side as well. I guess you're right because there's a lot of people that do podcasts by themselves, and that's technically mm -hmm. what I do. But mine's only just 20 minutes. But I guess you're right. It's not we have it. We do it now. We put we've actually once. We do it once a month or once every two weeks. We post one of the old videos from the commercial claim show and we post it on Spotify and um, we do we're, we're on Spotify, Google and iTunes. So once we're actually week, getting all that yeah. set up now, I've, I've got all the audio ripped. And in you fact, somebody, somebody did it for me um, and, and then sent me 
uh, Google Drive file and say, can you please make a podcast out of these? That'd be great. And they, they ripped all the audio off of all of my live streams for me and asked me to make a podcast out of it uh, because they've been listening to it while driving. They did that just for themselves so that they could listen to it while driving. Uh, but I, I haven't gotten it set up yet uh, just because of some um, setup and, and changes in ownership and things for a listen to this bowl that we have to do before we start uh, putting some overhead involved in it. But once that's all set up, then yeah, it will have a RSS feed and all that fun stuff to actually create a podcast. Or how about because it's not that fucking easy to do all this behind the scenes stuff. It isn't. It's so much work. It's so much work. Dude, it's a full-time job. Yeah. I get no sleep. It's crazy, right? It is. People don't know it. And I've got a lot of help and I still got to be in front of the camera and I got to do something. But like when I was doing it by myself, it's nowhere near what it is now. But when I was doing it by myself, I mean, it was like, if you want to do it right, if you want to make it look professional and you want to make it look legitimate and everything, you got to, I mean, it takes a lot of work. It's, it's, a, lot it's of work. a lot. Yeah. I, um, but there's so many opportunities. There's so many opportunities when it comes to it. I mean, if anybody's got the time to do it, dedicate to it. I'm telling you, I mean, it's, it's, it's worth it. It's a lot of work and it's hard even for like for me now, we're starting, we just started elite resolutions a couple mm -hmm. of months back. We've got seven adjusters now on staff, not staff, but you know, independent contractors and you know, it's, are you running claims yourself still too? And I'm running claims myself. Yeah. No, I've, I mean, I've been there, but geez, it's, it's difficult. Well, no, now I've got, I've got a fee schedule that I've come up with for, here's the thing is we've got a lot of adjusters coming to me to either that they want to come work for me mm. or they just want to work claims with me or they just want me to just send them out on claims or just do anything. You know, they just want to sort of work. So I've got a few guys in Tampa. They've got their own company mm. and I'm just sort of hiring them as a field adjuster, giving them a small cut and go out and do the inspection for me. It's, it's pretty easy when that starts to happen. I've, I've had, a, had quite a bit of people come out of the woodwork over the last few years, after, just mostly because of the listen to this bull videos, trying to get me to consult on claims more than anything else. But we've had a lot of people asking if we have positions available, turn a lot of people down. Uh, but we've we've always done salaries for for our internal uh, public adjusters, which is fairly unique for the public adjuster world. Was it um, is it salary mixed with commission? Well, there was bonuses, but no, it was just. Straight up salary, a lot of benefits, all that fun stuff. That's the way we've always done things. Interesting. Yeah. It was a different setup for sure, uh, but it allowed us to attract the kind of PAs that we wanted to attract in Georgia because there aren't, there aren't PAs in Georgia already. So we have to train people. So if we want good people that we know are going to end up being a good PA, we have to attract them somehow. A lot of them, they're, they're, not, they're not 1099 type individuals. They want stability. So that's, that's the way funny. we've done things. But if, you, if you're in a state like Florida where there's public adjusters everywhere and that is a norm, you could find good PAs doing things the way that you're doing it in that state. It makes more sense to do it your way in that state. I wouldn't do salary in Florida. Our goal is to provide an atmosphere that is so family-oriented, supportive, a lot of communication, and just a lot of... Uh, yeah, a lot of communication amongst each other and a lot of support that you're not going to want to go anywhere else. You're not going to want to. You're going to want to hustle. You're going to want to work hard. You're going to want to really bring in those claims. You're going to want to work those claims. That's the goal. We're just yeah, starting. Yeah. 
you know, we've got weekly meetings, we've got quarterly meetings, we've got yearly meetings that are already all planned out, all set You're up. Doing the EOS system, pretty much. Okay, but I'm doing it myself. I basically, oh, yeah. I basically took that book Traction. Yeah, and I studied it. And I studied it and I went page by page. I wrote down what I needed to write down. I broke down my entire organizational chart or like they call it the, uh, not the organizational chart. It's called something else. It's called, uh, it's called something else. Uh, my core processes, my, uh, what is it called? The uh, T slash VO or VO slash, no, V slash TO, which is vision slash traction organizer. Mm-hmm. Got it all written down. There's a lot of companies doing the EOS system right now. I like um, it. I like it. That what's yeah. probably the best part about it, honestly, is the weekly meetings are so structured and organized. You've got your weekly to-dos. Definitely get a lot accomplished in those meetings. You stay on track with your 90-day yeah. goal or with your rocks, like they like to call it. The rocks. And it's great. I'm excited because we're going to start doing it. We had our first one uh, on uh, yesterday or on Tuesday, but it wasn't it was just sort of like a quarterly meeting. We're going to really have our first one next Monday. And I can't wait to go over with the adjusters. And we're going to sort of have everybody have a little friendly competition on the weekly to-dos and the weekly goal sheet. Or sorry, it's called a weekly scorecard. Mm-hmm. How many claims did you sign last week? How many claims did you close last week? What were your settlement amounts? You know, I want everybody. And I told them already, it's going to be all out there. If you don't, if you have a problem with that, you know, let yeah, me know. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Put it on the issues list. No, it's, it's good having some internal comp competition we had a uh, whiteboard when, when we were doing three thousand claims a month we had, we had a whiteboard and every uh desk adjuster that I had had a column um, with you know how much they settled each claim for and if it was roof related it was how much per square it settled at and we had bonuses based on you know top per square amount for the month top average um all kinds of things, and then there was a there was a group benefits uh, if if the entire team were was able to accomplish a specific dollar amount goal for that month or a certain amount of claims that were closed, then they got bonuses. It was it was a lot easier and a lot better to motivate with positive uh, things than, than with negative. Even though there's plenty of books out there that say negative motivation is is very powerful, I never like doing it. It's not my style. I just don't like doing it. Did you say 3,000 claims a month? You meant a year. I meant a year. Boy, that would be crazy. I was only, wow. Yeah. I was working about, I think the average, legitimate average was 17 and a quarter hours a day. I remember you would call me while I'm home having dinner with my wife. And you'd still be at the office. I'm like, go home. Go to your home. I want to. <laughs> <laughs> you have to read through these policies and do all this stuff. And I'm like, God damn. Yeah. I mean, we had to make all the decisions. So it was, it was based on, uh, you know, what claims do we take on, which claims do we don't. So I had to go through all the investigations that we had and try to figure that out. You know, well, my guys gave recommendations on what their opinion was, but a lot of times we had to get a lot more information than what we were able to uh, get mostly from the contractor or, or whatever, but there was, there was so much work to do. And I was in the field myself. I was doing inspections, meeting adjusters, um, re-inspections, engineer appointments, all the fun stuff. And Atlanta is a huge market. So you might drive from one appointment to the next and there'd be a two hour drive time in between. And the most I ever got on in Atlanta was, was 12 uh, claims in one day. 
And it was unbelievable that I got to 12. That's impossible. Most of them were in the same neighborhood. Normally 12 would be impossible in Atlanta. There are certain places where 12 is easy. We, uh, for Hurricane Michael, when, when I was down in uh, Albany, Georgia, um, I was able to get to a lot of claims in one day, although my inspections were about three hours long each because there was so much damage. Uh, but when I was doing adjustments and things, they only had a certain amount of time. So I had to you know, provide them the estimate and just go through it really quickly and point out things. And once they realized that I wasn't just giving them some bullshit, um, they were a lot easier and quicker. They, they, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, I'm not even really seeing it. And they were okay with it. But once you establish those relationships with some of the guys that you meet with regularly, it becomes a lot easier. Did you have an estimating team? I had an estimator on staff um, that was doing all the estimates. We had part of our investigation was was taking photos in certain orders. We even had a sign language. So you're looking at um, a gutter and there was damage on it. We got close to the gutter, an outlook of the gutter, and then we needed to measure the gutter. So there was the hundreds, tens, and ones units. So if it was uh, 15 feet gutter, one, five, and that was photo photo and then we didn't have to write it down this is before company came if there was kick out diverters we'd have a okay we'd take a photo of and we point at different things we had sign language in our things so that the the estimator could just scroll through the photos and create that scope without us having to write it down and then we we have scope sheets as well if it's a little bit more complicated where they had to fill out specific amounts of things going on uh, but pointing to the damage really explaining it we took chalk we wrote all over everything notes for the photo we'd write it on brick walls we'd write it on siding we'd write it on the shingles everything you could possibly imagine was taking a photo of and it helped our backend team doing the desk adjusting uh, to have those photos, even though it was really designed so that our estimator could put together a proper estimate. It really helped that backend team because they had all the documentation necessary. A simple claim would have 300 photos, a simple one. Uh, now a company can, and we don't really have to do so many because I don't have to take three photos of the gutters, the Outlook and then the one of the five. I can just take one photo with a phone and write 15 feet on it using the app. And that's just one photo. So it's less photos to go through, less data storage. It's, it's a hell of a lot more convenient. Uh, big fan of that program. I love Company Camp. Company Camp's yeah. fantastic. It's the guy. Helps out tremendously. And you, you don't have to worry about going back and labeling things. If you wanted to send it to an adjuster, there's enough information. But um, the key is, and, and you can do it however you want, but the key really is just to be consistent on how you do things so that someone can get used to that and understand how to, how to build something from it. So we had an estimator on staff. Yeah. Um, on the large losses, the person that does the investigation does the estimating as well, because it's just too much information to try to impart through photos. They end up having to work together anyway. So you can, uh, you can eliminate the middleman by just making that person, the person that writes the estimate, but they need to know what they're doing and exacttimate because large loss has a lot of unique line items and things that you're not really normally dealing with. There's a lot of information to document on those, but we give them all that they need to do a proper investigation. If the investigation takes three days, it takes three days. If it takes them two weeks to write the estimate as well, then that's what it does. And we just don't give those individuals that much work to do so that they can actually focus and do the proper job. But Figuring out if there's a viable claim there is just as important as figuring out if there's a viable claim on residential, but maybe even more so just because there's more time involved in it. You don't want to waste a lot of time. 
That's going to be a lot of pressure having public adjusters on a salary. I well, mean, I mean, there's definitely a claims a year. That's okay. But on a percentage, at least, you know, that, you know, they sort of whatever. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a payroll like- to meet. So we have to have a certain amount of claims coming in at any given time. So there's pressure there, but we've never really had that many issues with it. I think the key there is just to be good. If you're good at what you do, um, then the people that you're getting claims from will continue to give you claims and, and you don't have to constantly look for new business. So we built up good. based on just people wanting to send us more claims because it worked out for them. So all, is all good still all good? All good is there. Um, it may dissolve. I think that we're, we're winding down on the claims that we have. And, and basically it's, it's all being transferred over to uh, C3 and C2. So I think it'll be in business for a while, but claims aren't being signed under all good anymore. Um, the bull is, is still with listen to this bull, which I'm very happy about. Uh, but the all good adjustments name is, is probably going to be dissolved in the next year or so, maybe two years over time as, as claims, uh, wrap up, we're not just shutting down or anything. We don't want the policyholders to have any problems just because of that. Oh, of course. Of course. So, yeah. What does C2, C3 stand for? Was- so I think it's construction and claims consultant. I think that's what it originally was, uh, but they're, they don't do a lot of that anymore, but the name C3 stuck and then coastal claims is C2, two C's coastal claims. That makes sense. They, they became C2. That works out. Um, right. Just to make the, the things there, there was a minute there where we were going to try to call a national claims Institute C1, uh, but that's just stupid. So. <laughs> Thank God you didn't do that. I keep asking Matt Barron's though, why didn't he name it C4? You know, your claims is going to blow up when you give it to us. That's true. true. Makes sense to be so much good marketing potential there. That would have been good. Yeah, but whatever. He didn't want to. Well, Matt, (laughs) like I said, I'm excited about all the things you've got going on. Um, I'm pretty sure you don't sleep at night, do you? Sometimes. Well, you did. I bet you the last 11 days, or maybe you didn't because you were out in the wilderness. I got a little bit of sleep, but I think we slept about four, four or five hours a night, but uh, a lot, a lot of strenuous activity there. I have veins in, in places that I've never had before. <laughs> so my wife, you get ready. Uh, buff mats coming home. <laughs> I, I am now I woke up this morning. I, I barely, I've bar- I haven't slept much just because of my mind going crazy over the last few days. And I'm like, wait a minute. The last 10 days while I was in Alaska, I slept like a baby. Really? And now we had our quarterly meeting, which, by the way, was an entire day. How do you have a meeting for a whole day? I thought that was an annual thing. That the You had a full day meeting for annual, don't you? No. Is it quarterly as well? The quarterly is one day. The annual is two days. Oh, that's right. I didn't get that far into it before. Uh, but here's the thing. I didn't think it would actually be a whole day. So we only scheduled out four hours and we're just halfway done. <laughs> so I guess it was the meeting. And then I had the first adjuster meeting with all our new adjusters. And I didn't sleep a couple nights ago. I didn't sleep last night. I'm thinking about all these ideas. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Ba-da-da-da-da. And it's just, um, that's why I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure with all these ideas you've got for, for NCI and listen to this bull and everything. I mean, 
Uh, it's hard to shut off at night for sure. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, there's different tactics that you can use. You shut the lights off, but you know, the TV, I have the TV in the bedroom. That doesn't help. I try to read. It's a, it's a, you have to have a, you have to have a procedure that you go through, you know, something that's, that's set up every time you do it the same way right before bed, what, whatever it might be, you know, watch a 30 minute television show. It's fine. Whatever it is, it just needs yeah, to be that, something that uh, always life. happens. And that way you shut yourself down slowly, but having a notepad and a pen next to your bed, because you're going to think, Oh, I have to remember to do this. I have to remember to do that. Just writing it down before bed keeps the stress off of you, but trying to remember. That helps out tremendously. You think so? It's helped me. But I've realized the stuff that I think about in the middle of the night is really no of no relevance when I wake up the next day. Well, it's that's true, but it at least makes you think that you have it under control so that you can settle your mind down. Oh, yeah. Whether it's really important or not doesn't matter. You think it's important in that moment, so you stress out about not remembering it. What, By having it written down, you feel better about it. Well, what do you do? Turn on the lights in the bedroom and write it down and wake up your wife? I'm not talking about stuff in the middle of the night. I'm talking about right before you go to bed. You know, when you're thinking, I have to do this, I have to do this, 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 and then if something pops in your mind, you're like, oh, shit, I have to remember to do that tomorrow. Write that stuff down before you go to sleep. That way you're not stressing about it. And you don't wake up in the middle of the night freaking out. I haven't, I've written down notes uh, in the middle of the night before, but most of those are just jokes that I've come up with while sleeping. I thought were hilarious at the time. I wake up, I, you know, I test it out on my kids, almost like a little stand up and it never goes over well. So <laughs> the midnight stuff, you're right. There's usually not great ideas. Do you have any of those jokes that you remember? I have stories, but they're very long. Ah. They're very long. I, I have at, at some point in time, um, I did develop a full stand-up act. And I think I could probably, if I was put on the spot, I could probably put together a 30-minute stand-up if I had to. Uh, but I would need about a week to prepare. You can't give me 30 seconds or a minute? 30, a minute. Now, my stories are longer than that. They're, they're definitely, there's build-up. There's, there's an art to storytelling, Vince. Oh. I can't just pull it out of my ass here, man. Absolutely. No, there yeah. definitely is. I mean, there's certain things I can't pull out of my ass, but those are gross. <laughs> we can do it if you want. You want me to pull shit out of my ass? <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant a story. I don't get my spoon. <laughs> I meant one of your jokes, man. I want to hear one of your jokes. I got nothing. I got nothing that's going to be... Uh, I'd have to find my notebook. I have a notebook. I have a notebook full of it, but I don't remember stuff very well. So I'd have to prepare. Sorry. How many notebooks do you actually have? I probably have three. Really? Yeah. Because I've got about a hundred of these things. I don't throw them away. So a friend of mine, uh, another PA colleague, um, Jennifer Campbell, you know, Jennifer, she, um, she had me help her with a claim and Something went south on it, but she felt like that she owed me something. So she bought me one of those remarkable two tablets. You know what I'm talking about? Two tablets. No. Remarkable two. Oh, yeah. I've seen it. It's, it's all up on my freaking Facebook ads and stuff. Yeah. No, it's freaking awesome. It's you like awesome. it? You can have these everywhere. Little ones, everything piled up. You don't know which one has the information in it that you want. 
or you can have that tablet and it feels just like writing normally and have it all organized and it syncs to your computer so that you can access it wherever it is. And I have to worry about where that notepad is. It's where fantastic. Is it? It's not perfect by any means. Sometimes I want to switch to a different thing and it takes way too long to switch. It's not perfect, but it's so much better than having these notebooks all over the place. I can't, to be honest, I'm mad at myself. I got, this is my first time back in the office and I left it at home. And so I've got this notepad next to me, which is normally Remington's because this is my studio for doing the podcast and Remington, he really loves these legal pads. I, there's something about attorneys and legal pads. No, I like, really like them. So I stole his legal pad. I is that, is that acting as a, a attorney without a license? Is that yes, UPA? 100%. UPL? Yes. I can't legally write on a legal pad, can I? No. I didn't think so. No. I didn't think so. I almost pulled the trigger on one of those remarkable twos. I was really close. I, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. Shout out to Jennifer Campbell for giving me something that I was a little bit skeptical about thinking I'm not, I'm going to lose the pen or something. Best thing. Best thing ever. I use it every day, except for today because I don't have any. But normally, every day. I even thought about taking it on the canoe trip just because I liked it so much. I didn't because it's not waterproof. And that would have really sucked. But uh yeah. Matt, weren't you a roofer? I was. Before you were a public adjuster? I was. How long did yeah. you do that for? How long? Yeah. Uh, three and a half years. And how did you get into, well, I mean, is that you got into roofing first? That was like what you got into? Was then you then. Actually, it was five and a half years, almost six. So I started in 2007, late 2007, I became a roofing sales guy for a roofer. And uh, a year later, I started All Good Roof Systems. Um, and All Good Roof Systems was doing things really well. In fact, they were in business after I left All Good Roof Systems for a while. But um in 2014 in Georgia, there was a much stricter uh, public adjuster law coming out, House Bill 610, it was known as. And it was going into effect on July 1st, 2014. So I, I was already dealing with insurance companies, but this was going to make it to where there was a fine associated. So UPA laws uh, turned me into a public adjuster. So my goal was, because in Georgia, you can be a contractor and a PA at the same time. My goal originally was to just be a PA for the all good roof system claims. But I learned very, very early on that that was a terrible idea uh, because they knew that I was with all good roof. And if I'm there as all good adjustments dealing with all good roof, they just treated me like a roofer. But if I'm there doing a claim where a different roofer is involved, the respect level was very different. Um, I was very good at dealing with insurance companies. I hated it. Back then, I really hated it, uh, but I was very good at it. And I figure if I hate it, other people will hate it. This is a marketable trade. There weren't many at that time in Georgia. I think at that time, there was less than 100 registered public adjusters, um, resident Georgia public adjusters. So very, very few 
And I started telling uh, contractors, you know, what a public adjuster was. They'd never heard of one. We were meeting with adjusters that had never heard of public adjusters, didn't know what it was. I was explaining things to them. Or they'd come and they'd say, I've never dealt with a public adjuster. You're my first. Um, and they, they looked terrified at first, usually when they met with us, because they were worried that we were just going to be jerks. Apparently, that was a thing that most public adjusters were like. Man, it was, it was a different world. 2014, as a public adjuster, was a much easier time as a PA than it is today. Much, much easier. Um, but there was a lot less roofers filing claims back then as well. 2008 was fantastic. You, could, you didn't need a PA in, 28, in 2008. You just didn't need one. We really didn't need one in 2014. But policies really started changing in 2012, at least in Georgia, to be a lot more disparate from one policy to the next. One policy might have coverages the other one doesn't, with limits that the other one doesn't, with the ACV on the roof only and all these different things. And we really started to have to really know how the policy worked in order to actually be able to work that claim. And before that, we were able to just think, all right, we generally know how RCV works and this is what they're supposed to pay for. We never even read policies because we knew it was an RCV policy. We looked at the deck page. We knew what the claim had. We, we knew what it was. And we would make these gross assumptions that for the most part worked out because almost everything was based off the ISO forms, ISO HO3 forms, uh, but not anymore. One policy to the next, it, the deck page might look similar, but it's going to be completely different. And you just can't do that anymore. It's, it's, it's a completely different world. So we adapted with it when we were doing 3,000 claims a year, not a month. Uh, we, were, we were getting every policy. And we, I, have, I have so many notes on specific policies. I know exactly bullet points on, on key issues for those policies. And we, we kept good track of this in our CRM program. And so whenever we got a copy of the policy, we knew which policy it was, we knew which form number it was, we knew which endorsements and what form numbers those endorsements were. I could go into my notes without having to read that policy again and know exactly what I'm looking for. Because if they change anything in that policy or that endorsement, they have to change the form number. So if it's the same form number, we know they have the same form. And so we kept track of all that in our CRM and it just made things a lot easier. But man, you, I could not have done this as a contractor. Um, since 2012, really, every claim should have been with a public adjuster, but especially now. I, I think any every claim does, personally. You mentioned something interesting of, um, of just how, how the insurance company just reacts differently. It's just like a different oh, yeah. thing. When you're a roofer and you're going in and you start talking policy, besides the fact they're not allowed to talk policy, it's just they don't, they don't take that person seriously. They only want to talk to the roofer about the actual roofing and the roofing material and the roof system, and that's it. But when a public adjuster steps in, which is, I think, something that policyholders and roofers alike and contractors need to understand the benefits of having a licensed PA on a claim. Yeah. Is there a percentage that needs to go out? Of course. Well, shit, we got to get paid somehow. But it's just going to be a completely different scenario. It's going to be a completely different outcome just by having a public adjuster out there. Oh, yeah. Being able to talk the entire claim, being able to file a complaint with the state whenever we want to, being able to, to, to talk to the adjuster in a way that most people didn't think that we could actually talk to the adjusters that way, uh, you know, um, uh, escalating that claim whenever we want to. Just the things that we know that we can do, that we can, I guess, quote unquote, get away with because of our license and because of, of, of our certification that we've got. Sure that I just wish, I wish a lot of other contractors would realize that. And I wish homeowners too. 
the fact that I still got to walk into a place and still have to sell my services. I actually had a Marine I signed up yesterday and I was explaining to him everything. He goes, uh, Vince, he's like, you don't got to sell me, man. Don't worry. I'm good. You're referring <laughs> to me. You don't got to sell but me. But it's I'm part of your spiel right. and you're used oh, to I saying it. So let me just get it out, man. Come on. <laughs> but it's just a different. And then I try to explain that. How is it that the roofer that I had out here wasn't able to get me any money and you come into the claim and in two weeks, you're able to get the amount of the estimate plus additional living expenses and plus all these things. I don't understand. Uh, well, ma'am, you just have to understand that this is what I'm licensing and this is what I'm what what I do for a living. I know how to. I know I know the the policy language. I know the limits that they have to abide by. And I know all these things. But I still don't understand. That doesn't make any sense. I, <laughs> I tried and I failed. The roofer tried and he, you walk in here for two weeks. And this is a serious conversation I had about a month and a half ago. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, you know, I, I wish more people understood, but that's OK. I mean, you know, I, I think that there's an issue. The, a lot of these forums, they're they're it's an echo chamber. And they, we have these contractors that are talking to each other and contractors that have a bad experience with a PA or grouping every PA into that that pile of shit. There's bad PAs. If you've had a bad experience with a PA, it doesn't mean every PA is going to be like that. So, but they, they want to say all the things that, that happened to them. And it's not worth the, the percentage that the public adjuster is going to get. That's bullshit. Um, Total public bullshit. adjuster, if they're good, will more than compensate for their fees. You will make more money as a result. More claims will be won as a result. They just, they need to know what they're doing. And that's, that's why uh, classes like yours and in and, and mine to come soon, are important. You know, public adjusters, the only way that they learn right now, there's, there's a few uh, courses they can take that are a week long or so. The only real way that they learn is mostly through experience. Failure. It takes time. Failure. And failure. They have to fail a lot, right? So, and, you know, I failed a lot. I failed a shit ton. There's plenty of claims I personally screwed up. Definitely. That was on me. I can't do anything about it. And I call the policyholder and apologize profusely and say, listen, I, I, I messed this one up myself. I always liked taking responsibility for those. And I always told my people when I was training them, you're going to fail. You're going to screw up a claim. I want you to do that earlier on than later and do a lot less of it by learning from me. But you're going to screw up claims. It's, it's inevitable. Understand that I know that you're going to screw up claims. <laughs> that way, they're less likely to try to hide that mess up. Because if they try to hide it, it just it complicates things and it gets worse. But but once but once you get the hang of it, once you get it doesn't it doesn't get much easier. It just gets a little bit more complex, I guess. Just different different yeah. scenarios come your way. Uh, but but once you get the hang of it, it definitely gets. It's a rewarding career. I think it's a fantastic career. I think everyone should so. definitely consider it. Um, it's definitely I, a vacuum right now for more PAs, especially in in just about any state. Really, there's definitely not enough PAs for the amount of claims that are there. It's growing though. The industry's growing. It's growing yeah. fast. I don't know about you. I get messages from all over the country. All, all the time I'm getting someone say, how do I become a PA? You know, what, what's the best way for me to go about it? Where are you located? Wisconsin. What? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I have three Facebook messages that I haven't gotten to yet since I got back that are that. What's the best way to become a PA? One of them asked, what license should I get so that I'm automatically licensed in, in as many states as possible? to become a PA. I was thinking, man, I wish there was one like that. A universal license. Yeah, that'd be freaking awesome. Um, maybe one day the NAIC will have one. I mean, technically there's the, um, um, 
there is one that uh oh, i've been on the water too long picking up canoes carrying canoes carrying 120 pound there, there is a, a designation you can get cpcu you, you can get a cpcu designation and that would allow you to not have to take the course um, in many states, you still have to li get licensed in that individual state as a public adjuster to do business, but it would at least eliminate a lot of the issues with you know, what you have to do in order to get your license. But that's a, that's a long-term thing as well. CPCU designation is a, is a commitment to get, you know, it's going to take you a year, year and a half. That's a tough one. I thought about yeah. getting it. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't think about it anymore. I've met a lot of CPCU people that had no idea what they were doing. And that made me wonder about it. Interesting. So I don't know. I didn't do it mostly because of my biased assumptions from those individuals. I got the certification of 14 and a half years working this freaking thing. Okay. That's right. That's my damn certification. That's right. So, you know, you know, we can't, we can't rely only on our own experience. So when we're teaching people, you know, it's, we have to bring in experts for all the different things. So I'm, I'm going to learn a lot doing this school. I'm looking forward to that because I, I have a lot of fun learning new things, uh, but you know, it's really cool. We're actually registered as a research facility as well. I get to, I get to do science. <laughs> I can picture you in a lab coat. That's for sure. Oh, I'm so looking forward to it. We've got some plans. Um, we're going to build a mock roof of every type of roofing material that I could think of. We're going to stick it outside in the sun um, in a line across our giant parking lot that we have. Test blistering and, and stuff? Well, we're, we're going to get some baseline of a lot of information, but we want it weathered. We want some, almost every test that's out there is tested on new materials. There are a few that have longevity testing done, you know, 10 years down the road. But strangely, materials, they get obsolete within 10 years. And so that material and whatever information you're gathering from your testing isn't really going to matter because that material doesn't even exist anymore, whatever it might be. Um, so there's, there's definitely some complications there. So we're, we're going to be doing a lot of different things. I'm going to install a lot of uh, mock roofs with new materials, but I'm also going to be harvesting a lot of materials, even though it's not allowed by code, these are not buildings that people are going to be inside of. So I'm going to harvest some materials that are used, you know, have been around for 10 years or so that are still being produced and see if we can't get some data off of some of those. I'm even toying with the idea of building a wind tunnel. Nice. It wouldn't be large. It would be, you know, eight feet by eight feet. If I do it, I priced it out. I know exactly how I build it. Um, but it's going to take a lot of effort. I'm going to have to teach myself how to weld. Would you put a bunch of hundred dollar bills in there? <laughs> Got to catch all the money. That'd be cool. That'd be really cool. I, I should make one that can be brought to conventions or something, but people inside their own wind tunnel. That'd be cool. As hell. That'd be cool. Yeah. Everybody here in Tampa is just like, that storm wasn't shit. I'm just like, don't, 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 don't get too cocky. It's a hurricane. <laughs> There's some damage. You just haven't found it. It's not that. No, I'm just saying like people in Tampa hasn't, uh, Tampa haven't, hasn't been hit since 1908. Oh, I'm originally from Miami and we had plenty of storms there. 
And Tampa hasn't been hit since 1908 with a severe storm, which I think is what that's classified as a category three or more. No, it's crazy. Wow. And let me tell you the shit that they're building these townhomes in with uh, it's cardboard. They'll be gone. They're going to be gone. But everybody's like, townhomes. Oh, that storm, that whatever the Did name they figure but, out what that collapse was caused by. <sighs> I've been out of the loop. No, I mean, Still no. They had an engineer there a couple of years ago that said that the property was unsafe. Oh no! Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, that'll that'll kill a claim. Oh, oh man! Did I tell you that I got ripped on social media? Ooh. No. Oh, on LinkedIn I got ripped. For what? Because I posted about it, and I said it'd be interesting uh, on the claims process because the collapse just like that. If there's no event, you know, I started explaining sort of like the issues yeah, yeah. that there would be with a property damage claim. How dare you so soon of an event like this start talking about money and about claims and uh, money hungry and there's people you should be dedicating your time to prayer and putting them in your thoughts and all that. Oh, yeah. It was pretty cool. Kind of like that stuff. <laughs> Honestly, that's why I didn't do it. I was, I was wondering if I should do something along those lines myself, but sometimes it's just too about soon. That? About that one? Yeah. Oh, whatever, dude. It's the fucking internet. Yeah, it's fucking haters internet. all the time. Why wouldn't you talk about it? It makes no sense. Look, other people are talking about the deaths. You know, there's there's other somebody is dealing with that issue right now, even after the deaths. The insurance, you only have so much time with an insurance claim. I responded. I said, I'm a public adjuster and I specialize in property damage claims. This is what I do. If I was a fireman, I'd be over there helping people. I was a nurse, I'd be over there, do whatever I can. Yeah. And I said, but instead of putting them in my thoughts and in my prayers, which they already are, I'm going to do whatever I can to, if there's a way that I can help in the expertise that I know that I've been practicing for as long as I have, I might as well help. I mean, somebody is dealing with that. So there's a, there's a property owner or a That's property be a manager or somebody is dealing with that. Imagine, I can't imagine. I don't know. I could be wrong. I just, I, I mean, can't. The policy could have an ensuing loss provision and there could be a uh, ensuing loss from negligence. Um, the, the collapse language in a lot of policies do provide quite a bit of leeway, even on a negligence issue. So oh. there's, there's a possibility there's still a valid claim there, but definitely needs a, a long um, policy interpretation. So I did a video and then yeah. my guys sort of interpreted my video into like a post was that I would love a crack at just reading the policy, not signing. Yeah, no kidding. I, right? You see? You yeah, see. I want to too. I just want to so read cool. the policy, see if I could find something because, I mean, as it looks, it doesn't look good. Yeah. But imagine you could find that loophole or you could just find that and or but or if or or, you know, I mean. Or lack of a comma. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know, and that's all I was trying to say. And these fucking haters, man. It's awesome. We, uh, when we were getting you know, all of our equipment, right? When you got haters. Yeah. Well, you know, you're doing it. definitely no. We were getting our equipment, getting ready for the canoe. We're, we're being issued all this stuff, and they they asked us to to read out loud this disclaimer. Is you know, if if we damage any equipment or lose anything, they will charge us for any damaged or lost equipment that is, or they will charge us for any lost or damaged equipment that is turned in. But there was no comma. So I said, well, this doesn't make any sense. As long as I don't turn it in, 
I don't get charged for it. (laughs) If they had put a comma after a lost, (laughs) it would have made sense. (laughs) But uh, that is the kind of education that you're going to get. (laughs) At the National Claims Institute, my friend, but it's true. It's the difference between is this wording sometimes the difference, and it's our job yeah, to try to find it's it. Very subtle, very, very subtle. But uh, knowing that that difference makes a huge in everyday life, you know. So if we damaged one of the canoes, it was going to be like 800 bucks. I said, well, as long as we don't turn it in, we're fine. Feel it. Might as well just take it. I'm just going to take it home. They <laughs> carry it home. All you do with your backpack, <laughs> throw it in the dumpster outside. I didn't turn it in. Yeah, we've been through, we've had some nights of just talking about policy. That's, we're not nerds at all. No, no. I do enjoy those though, because finding something that other people don't notice is, there's a, there's an excitement to it. As stupid as it is. I mean, we're talking about insurance policies. I would never have guessed in a million years. That was the beer bottle again. Again. I should not do this motion. Went on a podcast. Did you get that fly, by the way? I think it went ahead and bit me. Okay. (laughs) So it's full somewhere, just enjoying itself. I missed. Policy? uh, Reading? You enjoy reading policy? Oh, finding the loopholes? I enjoy finding for specific claims. If it's an interesting claim, I enjoy it. If it's just a mundane thing, it's, it's rote and it's boring, but... When there's an interesting claim and I'm trying to find something interesting that I know could be one way or the other, but it all depends on a very specific wording, I really get into that. And I wouldn't have never have thought that I would ever be into that kind of a thing as a kid. You know, it, it's, it's, in a, it's a contract. Who wants to read contracts? But when you, when you have, when money is on the line, it's, it's like, I'm looking at this and it's a game. If I can find and solve the puzzle, then I'm going to win something that has made somebody else so distraught, the policyholder, I'm going to be able to make their life better again. All I have to do is solve this puzzle by finding the one thing. And it's exciting. It's exciting. But it doesn't, it's, it doesn't sound exciting until you're doing that and you're winning something for someone that really needs you to do that. So I don't know. I thought that somebody the other day, they're just like, I never expected to be a public adjuster. I said, you think I ever thought about being a public yeah. adjuster? Nobody expects to be a public adjuster. Or I went to school for aerospace engineering. I went to school for to sp- become a public adjuster. <laughs> I went to school for sports management to become a public adjuster. So I don't know which one of us is worse there. <laughs> it's a complete opposite. That's for sure. But you know, a sports management could be tied in though, because it, because it could be considered a game. So it's it's almost like I'm a sports manager. Does that get into actually? My reasons for be, be, uh, getting into sports manager was to become a sports agent. Okay, uh, you told me that before. Yeah, yeah, but then I found out I had to go to law school to be a sports agent because they're all lawyers or former athletes. I didn't know that. Yeah, actually, Remington, the guy that does my podcast with contract law and all that stuff, he wanted he went to law school to become a sports agent. Also, right? Yeah. Did he tell you that? No. You guys would have a great conversation. But and then he ended up getting picked up doing uh, insurance property claims. And now he's he's doing it in Georgia and in Florida. And I think he might actually be in Tennessee as well. We didn't even talk about the meetup. The meetup. 
We got to talk about that on. Let's close the show with that. We got 10 minutes. So we hit the two hour mark, my friend. Yeah, it's on July 30th, right? July 30th. Right. We don't have a venue yet, but I'm actually I'm looking at a few uh, breweries. Brewery. Really? That's a great idea. Brewery. So there's a few breweries in town um, that have, you know, like a showroom almost where you go in and you can taste their their beers. They give you tickets and all this kind of stuff because you can't actually sell it to you. Uh, but they rent out their facilities. And I think it would be really cool to have one there. But there's there's several different local breweries here. Uh, I've been to a few different ones and they're really cool facilities. Um, I mean, perfect for it. So. You have a good turnout? Uh, once we have that venue and we really start marketing it, it's possible. So there is there is also a Napia event going on at the same time. That's fine. That's so fine. Who's Napia? Uh, doesn't matter. I know now. <laughs> but there's, there's going to be a lot of public adjusters um, that would normally come to this meetup that will probably be at that. And to be honest, I would be at that normally as well. Uh, but the course that I have set up, honestly, is keeping me from being able to go. But they're one of my very, very good friends, uh, Anita Taff, is being coronated as the NAPIA president in Utah at that. And she's she's on the board of Gapia with me as a past president. She's fantastic. So what was, what was her name? Uh, Anita Taff. Um, Anita. I'm really excited for her because she's yeah, I'm very, very excited for you. I'm very happy. She's, she's wonderful. So I, I, I'm really upset about missing that, but the meetup is going to be fantastic. And it's not just for public adjusters, it's for contractors, PAs, attorneys, anybody in this industry. I first want to say that I'm congratulating Anita and I'm very happy for the, for what's going to happen to her, but unfortunately there's not going to be anybody there to watch her present this. <laughs> so Anita, and I don't know who you are, but I'm sure you're a good person and I respect you tremendously. You might as well just come to our event as soon as that's done. Anita is, if, Anita, I, I would consider her a mentor of mine. Nice. She is wonderful. I, I wish her best of luck with that. And I think she's going to do a fantastic job. I'm sure she will. Um, I'm she not going to say what you said. She should also come to the event as soon as it's over. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be great. Uh, honestly, we're, we get over 100 people every time. Yeah, no, Georgia will show up. Uh, I think we'll Georgia start putting it on up. the... We're going to start. We've done a little bit, but we don't start hard until probably three weeks before. So next week is we're going to go hard. Perfect. So we'll, so go we'll have a venue. Bad, stuff like that. The only thing yeah. is I'm going to have... I need a printer person, if you don't mind, please, so I could pick up this poster board that I always print. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I got that for you. Uh, we had uh, we had someone really step up for us with Gapia. I'm okay. happy to get them involved for something like that. That'd be good. I like that. Uh, if you've got a booth or anything like that, you're more than welcome to set it up. I'm going to set it up as well. Uh, we'll have Remington as the main sponsor. I don't think we're going to have any other sponsors than that. We are st- going to start looking for sponsors, like like small time sponsors and stuff. But that's sure. that, that should be good. And then uh, shout out to Abahi, Abahi. I want you to go. I'm going to call you as soon as I finish this podcast with Mr. Matt Mulholland, just to make sure that you actually do have a chance to go. And I think it's going to be a great event. All public adjusters who are out there in the Georgia area, come on out. And by the way, we're going to Texas the month after. We're going to Dallas. Dallas. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to show up in Texas. Yeah, right. Oh, they are. I can't wait for that because I got adjusters out in Texas. It, actually, we can get all the Texas people to come to Georgia for the Georgia meetup. Oh, well, we'll see. They'll go. They'll go to. What, what am I supposed to talk about at this thing? Whatever you want. You are. Anything I would like I you to speak. I'm going to read some poems. Yeah, I think you should say your freaking stand up. Do it. I dare you. Thirty minutes. I'll, I'll do at least one story. You promise? I, I've got the right one. I promise. You I, said I here. 
even though by this time at a two hour mark, nobody's listening. No matter. You said it. Yeah, well, you can you can make this a little snippet that, that puts out in front. You do a good job with those little snippets. Say it. Say it again. I'm going to do some stand-up comedy at the Atlanta meetup with Vince Perry. Nice. Really, uh, I'm just going to tell some funny stories. Tell Remington it's up to him, too, if he'd like to speak also. He's more than welcome to speak. I'm sure he will. So we'll probably just do like what we usually do is it's usually six to nine. Mm-hmm. Six to seven is networking. Seven to eight is speaking. And then eight to nine is Get your drink on. Get your drink on. More networking. Yeah. And if we do it at a brewery, there's plenty of drink. There's plenty to drink. And you and I like beer. So that's good. Even though I had rum today. Did have rum. This is the I had a. Can you see the old logo? Maybe you could see it. Oh, I see it. National claims. I can't tell what the actual image was on it, but I saw the. It's a fist. It's a fist. Like this. Yes. Power to the people kind of a fist? Yes. You know, white people get very offense, offended by this. Look how white I am. This green screen makes me look so white. It's Sorry. definitely the green screen. We're going to put that like Lake Tahoe behind you or something. It's going to be like. Yeah. <laughs> Here. Here's a canoe. Or. Right, I was man. wearing this hat the whole time. Yeah, you did good, man. Look, you made it to two hours. Yeah. Oh, it's been Wait. two hours already. It's weird. It's funny how you get like, do you get like into the middle of it? You're just like, oh, and then you, it, and then there's always like, what I notice is like, it's when it sort of starts to get better oh. after about an hour, an hour and 10. And then that's a conversation gets hot. hot We're doing a, a segment called uh, pubs and policies for a while before COVID. And we would have someone and we'd get in person and we'd go to a pub and uh, Remington, me and, and whoever our guest was, Pate Smith was one of our first ones. We had a great time with him. And uh, by beer three, conversation was fantastic just yeah. fantastic and, and that's why we have a beer when we're doing our podcast uh mostly because we want our guest to have a beer with us because it loosens them up a little bit they're all a little bit nervous um and if you're only doing it for an hour by by the halfway point that's when it does get good really towards the 45 minute mark um yeah you're right it's it's really a shame it's like you could just throw away the first half of everything just toss it what yeah I thought it was good. Well, we didn't even start talking about claims until about 15. That's true. What are claims? Eh, it's just something that we do. I should learn about this. I was doing the podcast with Rico Garcia, like a live little podcast. And I just remember I was just like, dude, I don't want to talk about claims at all. All I do all day now, besides talking to claims with the insurance company, now it's talking to claims with people and doing the podcast and doing the show and doing this and doing that. Claims. claims. It's really hard to just talk about whatever hobbies and stuff. Why? Um, no, it's not hard. I mean, business. I like to talk about business. I'm I saying like to- when, when everybody wants to talk about business for whatever reason, it's hard to have friends. Most of your friends are in the industry, so you get together and it's uh, all you talk about is business. It's terrible. No, I got, I got a lot. I, got all, I still have most of my friends from high school. Do you? Yeah. Well, you stayed in the same area. They're all coming for um, when the Dolphins play the Buccaneers. I'm going to oh, have yeah. about 12 hooligans in my house. My wife's going to love it. I'm sure she will. She'll be saying, fuck you. I got to like take a snippet of that. <laughs> I just got to take a snippet of it and just be like, that's great. It doesn't seem like much. Right, this let's see if we can do it again. You got to get it again. How are we doing? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's fucking classic. <laughs> <laughs>
That's good. All right, Matt. Cool. Thanks for having me on, Vince. Coming on, man. That was fun. Great conversation. I appreciate your time. Yeah, and thanks again. With all your ideas. Yeah, let's get you on my podcast, but I'm going to see you at the uh, the meetup. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right, man. I'll see you all later. Right, man. See you later.